Welcome, everybody. My name is Pav Bryan. I'm co-founder and performance director here at Spokes, and you are listening to Bespoke, the cycling and triathlon training podcast. I am delighted to be bringing you another episode where we focus on inspirational uh, women who are strong leaders within female cycling. I'm joined by Spokes coach and multifaceted woman, uh, Caroline Stewart. How are you doing, Caroline? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Pav. Uh, yeah, I've got to live up to the introduction now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it was not wasn't much of an introduction, though, if I'm honest, because we're going to hand over to you. Because I th- I said before we started that I think you're the best person to take us through all of the different roles that you hold within. Uh, I mean, not cycling in general, but you have some really mm-hmm. cool ones with the the women's team that you're on. So I'm going to hand over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, so starting with the on the team side, I'm the assistant manager on the sporting and technical side for the Bianchi Dharma women's team. We're a UK elite level racing team, so we race the national series um, in the UK, the women's national series. We do race a few UCI races, and I'm right in the middle of prep for one of those right now. Um, I'm a UCI qualified sporting director. Um, um obviously i'm the mechanic for the team as well i'm a level three qualified mechanic i used to actually teach the level two and level three qualifications at a training facility um up in london um before i went back into working in shops and then working on the team um i'm a fully qualified bike fitter as well so uh, as well as being a coach within the sport um i can manage a team be um biomechanically responsible for the comfort of a team and also be the mechanic for the team as well so literally a finger in almost every pie caroline (laughs) pretty much every facet of the running of a of a race team um yeah i can i can uh, turn my hand to um so i've worked as mechanic for road race teams i've been a mechanic at uh, uci level world cup cyclocross um done a couple of mountain bike enduro things just for a laugh as a mechanic um I've and occasionally, although not this year because I've just been too busy, uh, occasionally I will also pin on a number and ride around a field slowly um, doing cyclocross. You say slowly though, but you did pretty well though, I think. I remember when we talked about this. Tell us a little bit about your racing experience. Um, to be honest, my racing experience um, in the last few years has been primarily kind of local league cyclocross. Um, I've been basically really happy to get pushed further and further back through the field. So, um, when I started racing in the Wessex league, um, uh, about four or five years ago, I was finishing, you know, 10th, 11th in a field of 15. Uh, a couple of years later, I was finishing 20th in a field of 30. The fields have now grown sufficiently that the women get their own race. So whilst my performance personally might not have been going up because I don't really have the time to train, especially in the months leading up to the cross season. So the road season, um, June, July and August for me are ridiculous. Um, the the growth of the sport itself has been um, a huge benefit, a huge boon to see. So, you know, I've I have one one race um since i returned to to racing in the last few years um i did win a um summer series cross race um that was a couple of years ago the memory of that literally is marred slightly by the fact that with um, a lap and a half to go it was a wet summer's day the grass had been cut i crashed and smacked my head and was concussed 
I oh, picked myself no. up, finished the race, can remember sprinting for the line, don't remember much after that until we were sitting next to the car um, after an ambulance had been called, um, sat with the ambulance crew, and I can remember everything afterwards. Um, so, yeah, I don't actually remember winning the race. Wow, that's incredible. Before, I mean, well done, well done on winning. I mean, that's that's in that fashion is uh, is pretty impressive. Uh, uh, just for the listeners, as as we move on through this, obviously we're going to be talking a lot about women's cycling. But what we're going to finish on is uh, some advice for anyone, be that male, female, child, to get into racing. So uh, we're going to take a, lo- a longer look at uh, Caroline's work within the women's cycling uh, industry and uh, and see what the frustrations are and obstacles and um the the real challenges that that women have especially from the from the team perspective um uh, caroline though first of all uh, this is something that obviously you told me about as we've, we've worked together for three or four years now i believe mm-hmm. and uh you you brought this to my attention i wasn't aware that uci actually had a ds a director sportive course now like a qualification that that now yeah. they're telling all of their ds's that they have to be on so I, I presume the listeners might not as well but for those for those of us that are a bit ignorant to that <laughs> mm-hmm. why don't you tell us a little bit about what that course consists of i mean you might want to dr- not drop some names in there because i think that there is a few a uh, few people that were uh, would spark so like pricks of ears and uh, and what that what that actually involves yeah um the uci introduced this qualification five years ago um which basically means every single uci world tour so we're talking men um pro continental um continental i believe i need to check the rules and uci women's team which will also therefore from next year include uci world women's teams and uci women's teams which is a a whole list of um, things that people probably don't know about the changes there. Um, All of them require at least the lead sporting director to have completed this course. And as of 2019, it was a requirement if you were applying as a a team for the first time to um, be registered at UCI level. Um, And this includes amateur teams, but still just racing at UCI level. Um, it was a requirement that at least one of your directors had done this course in it, um, in the year prior to the application. So going forward, if you want to set up a team and you want to register at UCI level, which gives you access to certain um, race programs, then somebody on your team will have to have done this course. Um, the course is, yeah, it's, it's held at uh, UCI headquarters in Egla. So that was uh, an interesting um, visit, especially in November um, there's nothing quite like cycling out of the uh, the accommodation um, on your uh, your loaned city bike that they give you down to the UCI cycle centre across the valley um, between Alps as the sun rises over the uh, the top of the Alps uh, just at the end of Lake Geneva. It's it's quite a quite a sight. Wow, I <laughs> could only first imagine. time I've been to the UCI HQ, so it was it was fun to go there as well. Absolutely, I bet. Uh, so yeah, congratulations on being what at the time was a handful of people, and I presume very yeah. few women who were uh, were uh, yeah. a qualified DS by the UCI standards. But what so what uh, that means? Yeah, sorry to touch on the the thing you mentioned there for the um, the women's side. They actually run a scholarship program. 
So to get more women on the course, uh, the UCI will actually pay the course fees and that scholarship program is uh, an application process that people go through. I myself managed to get through on the scholarship program. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and that's to encourage more um, women into the DS program. So when I was there, there were seven of us, six, seven of us on the course and all of them all of us had gone through the, the scholarship side, whereas all of the uh, the men's teams who were there, that avenue isn't open to them. Oh, well, um, so that's good. You could argue it's it's positive discrimination. It is a little bit. I'm, I'm but... sure that <laughs> um, that may rankle some people, but the idea is to to boost underrepresented um, sides. And the key thing from that point of view is it means that um, specifically for women's teams, although it doesn't, you know, it's not exclusively that. It means there's a better chance that a women's team um, could have a female DS um, going forward. Now that doesn't mean that men can't, um, but it does. It gives a, a flexibility because there are issues that you know women riders might be less comfortable talking to a male DS about. Yeah, absolutely. So Caroline, moving this on, what's your most memorable experience in any role? Um, probably, uh, that would be actually the race that I'm getting ready for at the moment. Um, last year, the team raced the, uh, the Lotto Belgium tour, which is basically the women's tour of Belgium. Um, that's, um, early September each year. And we raced that for the first time last year. Um, and it's kind of a two part thing, but my, the most memorable experience really is the final stage of that race, which is based in and around, um, Gerardsbergen in, in Flanders. And for those who are familiar with cycle sports and specifically the, the Flemish classics, you've probably heard of a fairly famous cobbled climb known as the Moor of Gerardsbergen, um, which the, the men usually race up once. Um, the final stage of the Lotto Belgium Tour goes up the Moor three times um, and you then go into a short circuit around Gerardsbergen. This is after racing for 70-odd K. You go into a 14-kilometer yeah. circuit with three climbs in it, and you've done the Moor three times, and then you finish halfway up it for a third and a half time. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> the, I didn't have to race. I was in the back of the car. So driving, you know, sitting in the back of the car, going up through the, the market square in Garazbergen is, for, for someone who's been a fan of the sport since the 80s, it's, it's a really iconic place. Yeah. Um, and to have taken our, our little team to, to that place, it's, uh, it's really good. Um, the individual memory from that was a couple of days previously, um, the team manager director and I were in the car at a quiet point during the race and chatting as we do. And the conversation usually gets onto either music or films or cycling history. And we were talking about the old black and white photographs where you used to see mechanics standing on the roof of a car, you know, mending bikes on the roof rack, which obviously is expressly forbidden these days um <laughs> for good reason on the, yeah because it's terrifyingly dangerous um on the final stage um on the 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 75 kilometer loop one of our riders hits a speed bump and managed to flip her chain oh. and again you people might be familiar with that little thing where you manage to get a loop in the chain and you end up with these two little tags where the chains crossed over so we gave her a spare bike i put the bike on the roof um, and it was sitting above um, where I get out of the car. Uh, the rider was riding the spare bike, struggling a bit because it was obviously a, a bit of a compromise setup because we don't have spare bikes for every rider at this stage. Um, so at a quieter point in the race, there's a long straight getting towards the feed zone. 
I stuck my feet under the director's chair, um, jammed my other foot against the back of the car, opened the window and basically leant out of the window up the way and fixed the bike while I was on the roof. <laughs> um, so I wasn't fully hanging out of the window, but I was working on the bike while I was on the roof. Um, we then radioed the rider, told her that her bike was ready. Um, and as soon as we were called forward by race radio, um, I think the, the manager, uh, my boss, Dave had, he'd hit the accelerator on the B of Bianchi when we were called forward. Um, we got to the, the president's car, jumped out, gave her the bike and she was back riding before I think the fifth team car had even passed. Um, so we slotted straight back in, she jumped those cars straight back into the race and was strong all the way to the finish. But, um, it was, it was a combination of the, the, the nostalgic thing, the, um, actually doing it thing and the polite round of applause I got from the Belgian locals who, um, saw the bike change when we got it back on. Awesome. Cool as well. well done. And, uh, for the listeners that are really interested in all of this mechanic stuff, uh, you should check out some of the earlier, one of the earlier bespoke episodes uh, where I have Max Rufi on who's uh, uh, a mechanic for uh, Mavic and he's uh, does the tour most years and he's got some funny stories about um, uh, saving people's races too so well done Caroline you uh, I tip my hat to you mechanics you're uh, far braver than most of us <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about what your personal aspirations are for the future um it's an interesting one um there, there are certain levels, but to be honest, my aspirations are similar to my, my current goals, which is really about helping and facilitating um, riders coming into the sport and coming through the sport to do the best they can in the sport. So I work with um, Palmer Park Velo, which is a youth um, cycling club in Reading, um, and our cycling cross coaching. Cyclocross coaching starts um, actually tomorrow. So I work with those riders. Now, some of those riders have gone on to represent um, GB at Cyclocross World Cups. Uh, obviously, with Bianchi, we are a, a women's team which picks up under 23 riders and develops them. And some of our riders, you know, I've also worked with the Matrix team in the past. Um, and our riders have gone on to do great things. Um, I was very close to um, going to the, uh, the UCI World championships this year because there was a young um chilean rider um an 18 year old who she i mean she'd done very well she's actually been at the uci cycling center under their training program all year um she finished silver medal in the scratch race at the world championships um about a month month and a half ago but they weren't able to support her going to the world championships so her parents were trying to put together a program and a mechanic and manager and obviously i can do both roles um, to do that as well and whilst it's 10 days of, of hassling you know added stuff after the end of my season um, the the ability to help a young rider forward um, is, is it's really kind of key so that sort of involvement in the sport so building our team forward um, to give more of those opportunities to people so potentially taking uh, the Bianchi team to UCI level in a couple of years that would be really cool um, but yeah, it's, everything's about, um, developing riders. Um, just to finish off that story, the UCI 
turned around, I think, last week and actually said that she'd shown that much promise that they were going to put together a package and, and support her as a, as a UCI-supported rider at Worlds. So um, whilst I won't be there, um, I will be cheering on um, the uh, Chilean junior rider. She's the uh, current national champion as well, I think. Oh, wow. That's a really nice story, Caroline. And uh, thanks for th- thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, obviously, uh, the, 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 the main reason people are listening is obviously to kind of get a, a look at um, the difference between what men and women's cycling actually is. Now, I'm really interested to know, given that you are quite at the grassroots in some respects of the development of of both genders but particularly mm-hmm. women in cycling how much harder is it for a woman to to be maybe maybe not turn pro but to be successful maybe make a living out of cycling than it is a, a man um i mean there, there are a couple of factors there's the size of the sport itself um so men's cycling um at both a domestic level and a, a, um, a semi-pro or professional level is physically a bigger sport, which means there are normally more opportunities. There simply are more teams, therefore there are more opportunities, there are more teams feeding into that. So there's there's a smaller pool. There's a smaller pool of riders as well. Um, There is less exposure for the women's sport, um, although in the time I've been involved, um, especially in the last five years, I've seen massive changes in that. and We're seeing better and better coverage. Um, I mean, I can highlight, uh, for example, GCN um, doing live coverage of, of women's races yeah. um, that wouldn't normally have been shown. That's fantastic. It's a really good, just, again, simple level of support by broadcasting those. There are some race organizers who do it. Uh, BC have actually got better at live streaming some of the women's events, and we're getting um, a lot more parity um, of, of the broadcasting. So in the last year, last year, to two years, um, the National Road Series, which is our prime focus as a team, um, there is now a half-hour program on the women's race and a half-hour program on the men's race on Eurosport every week. Um, you know, on the the Thursday afterwards, and those same broadcasts then get put on YouTube as well. So rather than you know a two-minute highlight package that was going on the web, we're getting network TV coverage, which shows not only you know the start the rollout a couple of moves and then the finish but the actual development of the race which when your your team are riding very strongly as a team dominating making moves and things but maybe don't win the race you feel very short changed because nobody ever sees and your sponsors don't get to see what your team has actually achieved during the race um anyone who watched the uh, the women's national championship road race will possibly have become aware of one of our riders Emma Cockcroft and her quote iconic orange socks as she mounted some fairly spectacular attacks to try and break the race up on the the flat roads of Norfolk um so the 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 increase in coverage is helping us a lot but it's still difficult to do that reduces the amount of money in the sport which makes it harder for teams to go professional um there is therefore difficulty with potentially attracting sponsors because they don't necessarily see the exposure those sponsors don't then necessarily put their money into the sport although um i had a conversation with um the then managing director of matrix when he was sponsoring the matrix team which i was working for at the time and he reckoned that the return on investment in the women's sport was 
close to about 10 times what he would get if he put the money into a men's team just because of the the level of expenditure that the men have to do so we work on a very small budget and we do as much as we can with it um but um team sky's food budget for the tour de france sorry team ineos um their food budget for the tour de france this year would have easily run our team for a year Um, what that means is um women find it harder to be in a position where they could turn professional the opportunities are fewer so most women have careers um all of our riders have full-time jobs or are full-time students and they're not you know run-of-the-mill nine-to-five jobs. We have a fully qualified vet. Um, one of our riders who left and joined a UCI team in New Zealand um, is a doctor. Um, we've got a research PhD, um, say several students going through. Um, so, you know, they have full-on uh, careers that they fit their racing around as well as racing at the top level in the country. Because you need that because if if racing isn't going to become your professional life, you need to actually have a life outside it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a really a really great point. But I mean, the, the the positive to come from that, and I totally agree with you. I think GCN are doing a really good job of broadcasting yeah. a lot more women cycling. And I think that this probably is the start of getting more equality in the sport. We're, we're a long way off. Let's, let's be honest, we're still a long oh, way yeah. off. But... You are right. The coverage will increase the amount of sponsorship money that you'll be able to bring in because I can imagine it's a, 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 the, a time of year when you're looking to make sure that you could retain or renew contracts with sponsors. I can, I mean, in in the whole of the sport, we see we see teams fold all the time. That like the men's teams went through a heck of a time where a majority of the big uh, big sort of teams sort of folded within one or two years. And thankfully, we have some new ones starting up and everything. But, yeah. but I, I mean, for women, it must be so much harder because there is that, that issue with the, what are the sponsors actually getting? And as a business person, I, I'm all, I would be very, very sort of mindful that actually, um, given that the lack of coverage, it would be very hard for me to kind of consider that so, I mean, the coverage needs to get better, uh, which will allow the sponsors to have uh, pay more money or be more. there'll mm-hmm. be more sponsors brought in. And then obviously that increases the budget. And then hopefully we'll see a lot more pro uh, teams, women that don't have to supplement a wage with a, a full-time job. Because, I mean, I know a lot of former pros and, and they tell me that the hardest time they've ever had training was the, the five to 10 hours that they do around a 40-hour work week um, yep. than it was riding 30 hours a week on the bike because the, because you're already tired physically, mentally. You're drained from doing a full-time job. Getting on the bike and training uh, is really hard. I mean, amateurs go through this all the time and that's one of the biggest things about coaching in this modern era is making making it personal for the for the client and taking into account their, their, their role. And I just think that, that yeah, given, given that, women have got such a hard, hard time or having such a hard time uh in making it but let's give props to to people like british cycling to to gcn the the people who are actually showcasing this because it is the start of the change that we want to see um but let's talk about oh yeah um i was gonna say with um with regards to our sponsors so bianchi um entered into a long-term deal with us 
um, a lot of national level teams, the riders will have to go and either buy their own bikes or bring their own bikes to, to a team. So you'll see teams riding a mixture of, of bikes. Uh, Bianchi supply our bikes. Um, we've been on a, um, a, a contract with them um, initially for a year or so. And then they went, they entered into a three-year commitment with us, wow. um, which we're coming to the end of the second year of. Um, which shows huge faith in the team. And the other sponsors and partners that we've brought on have tended to come on in a similar sort of fashion. So we, we've put together a group of people who are um, as supporters of the sport and interested in the sport. I mean, Bianchi are the, the world's oldest surviving bicycle manufacturer. They've, they've been around since 1885. Um, but they're looking for more than just the results. So, you know, the, the old adage from, I think, from motorsport was the, you know, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Um, people are far more interested in stories. Um, they're interested in the detail behind things. So me coming on here and chatting about stuff, um, riders access on social media, some of the stuff that comes off of that. One of our riders going off and doing ultra endurance races in Oman. But that's that's the kind of exposure that people look for because that's the, the way that, that people are engaging with the sport. You know, they're following athletes on their social channels. They're following teams on their social channels. So they're looking to see the story of a team rather than just the results of a team. Um, and because our um, sponsors are very much in the, the same mind, um, it's really nice to be able to build up a package like that. But again, you know, we are in the minority for having that kind of longevity of sponsor. There are a lot of teams that will really struggle year on year and you know if someone's going to turn around and say they want to sponsor the Bianchi team um for a couple of years with additional financial investment believe me come and talk to me we, we'd be happy to talk to you um, yeah but yeah absolutely it's it's not easy no I, I mean absolutely that's um and obviously a lot of respect to Bianchi there because it's uh that's a really it's a it's a, a generous thing to do and, and totally that's mm. uh it's an interesting it's an interesting point you bring up actually like the stories behind cycling and uh, and maybe even sort of along these sorts of lines where you've got uh the struggle and, and the comparison or the lack of parity between men and women cycling is is possibly one of the reasons why uh sponsors would be there because they know they'll get a lot of exposure over these few or you know, the coming years um uh to, as 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 good guys in the industry mm-hmm. and let's face it we need more good guys in uh in 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 the manufacturing side of bikes industry because we're forever hearing yep. about shops getting squeezed for margins shops closing because uh uh, costs or the margin is is getting tighter and tighter so well done Bianchi um, a, a good guy in the uh, in the, the somewhat very competitive uh, bike manufacturing mm-hmm. industry but let's talk about um, you specifically and your roles what's the hardest part of working uh, specifically in in women's cycling um, really I think it's it, it probably comes down to the lack of budget um, it just means that you end up doing an awful lot. So whilst, you know, technically my my main role is as assistant manager of the team on a sporting um, technical side, which basically means race mechanic, plus I look at some of the logistical stuff on top of that. Um, That also includes driving the length and breadth of the country. And most of the national series races are in the northeast of England. So that's, uh, you know, six hours up, six hours back, nearly every weekend throughout the summer. Um, if you're based up there, obviously that's less. So there's, it's the unseen stuff where we're, we're trying to do the best we can 
parts wear out. We don't necessarily have a huge budget for spares and replacements. So there's there's juggling between things, there's moving things between riders' bikes. There's the logistics even of just swapping a bike to a rider um, or delivering a new bike to a rider. Um, that's usually done by either me or the team manager, just jumping in a car, sticking the bike on the roof or in the back, and you know zapping around the country. So um, we do an awful lot, and you know people potentially don't um, see that side of it because they'll see the team turn up and look very professional. We've got fully branded team cars, which again not all teams in the UK on the women's side have. Um, so we'll turn up. We look very professional in what we do. But behind that, Monday to Friday, um, there's a couple of us running all over the country, you know, keeping it, keeping everything running. Um, so, yeah, I think the um, doing as much as we do with what we have is the biggest challenge, I think is probably the best way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, and it does. It's a, it's a great sort of thing to think about is uh uh, yeah, imagine trying to do all the different jobs. That's kind of what you are doing. Your team are having mm-hmm. to to spread out yeah. a team's worth of work between a, a few or a handful or less of people. So um, we're, we're going to move this on. We're going to talk about yeah. uh, advice for anyone looking to get into racing. But the listeners, if you're interested in hearing more uh, around this, it's this is part of a series that we're going to do where we're going to bring in an inspirational uh, female cyclists or or people that work within the women's cycling uh, and. And, um, and talk to them about their experiences. And if you check some of our previous Bespoke episodes, uh, I talked to Helen, um, who is an international, and she uh, uh, rode the, the Tour de France um, uh, a day before the, the men did it uh, in, in sort of protest um, against ASO's really quite poor um, show of, I'm going to say, respect for, for women in having... Uh, not really any comparable uh, event uh, for women. So well done uh, to Helen and well done to you, Caroline, on being pioneers of uh, women cycling. Um, let's then talk about this. Let's see, what can we do? Five five tips between us, Caroline. Uh, five five top tips for anyone who uh, who has wanted to get into racing. Obviously, we're, we're coming into the winter now um, at time of recording and uh, end yeah. of the season. So, um we're going to say that there's going to be a lot of people here reassessing their goals and thinking about racing for next year. Um, let's do five tips, Caroline. What would you start with? So, I mean, the, the obvious two are join a club um, because that gives you access to a lot of additional experience because they're from the club side. And so many people go into cycling as an individual leisure activity these days, coming either coming out of triathlon and taking up cycling as a sport or, you know, coming out of running, coming from injuries and swimming. And, you know, people come into it as a leisure activity and then develop it into sport, but they train on their own. So being in a club is good, um, if only for teaching you things like uh, group riding and the ability to ride in and around people, um, which is a huge, huge benefit that a lot of people miss out on. You can go to a lot of sportives now and you will see some some great riders and you'll see some very poor riders because they spend most of their time on the road on their own. They're not used to riding around large groups of people. So getting into a club, utilizing that experience um, and obviously applying for your race license, which gives you basic access to, to start racing are, are the two obvious ones. Um, getting up and going. Um, now, from a racing point of view, we're heading into the cyclocross season which is a particular love of mine because mm-hmm. I'm stupid and like riding around fields on road bikes in the mud. Um, 
But cyclocross is one of those really, really accessible sports. Um, it might be a little bit off-putting for people to go to, you know, a track and see the banking and that's a bit scary. Or go to a closed circuit like Cyclopark or, or Hillingdon. All great facilities, but, you know, it can be a bit daunting. You see these riders zapping around really, really fast. Um, cyclocross is a really good way of getting into a little bit of competitive um, sport and most of the leagues have novice categories as well um, and it's traffic free it's relatively safe um, you can fall off on the mud and hurt yourself a lot less than sliding down you know tarmac um, so you know getting to those kind of races and you know dipping your toe in having a bit of fun with it um, from a cyclocross point of view um, which also tra transfers into a, a road skills and bike handling point of view. I thoroughly recommend, and anyone who's done direct skills coaching with me will, will definitely know this, go out and play on your bike. When you were a kid, you used to go out on your bike, go to the park and ride around and ride up bankings and muck about and, you know, try things. Adults don't do that. Do it. Take your bike. They're, they're a lovely off-road pass. I'm, I'm fortunate I live next to Swinley Forest, which is a fairly large um, mountain bike um, facility with trails that are specifically set aside, but they're also fire roads. So you don't need to be going onto extreme mountain bike trails. Get a gravel bike, a cross bike, and go hammer up and down those trails. There's, you know, it's changing conditions. It works on your bike handling skills. It works on your fitness. It works on your core strength. And it's fun. And for a lot of people, it is very, very easy to get too tied into must train, must race, must train, must race, must train, must race. Um, I'm a firm believer of, um, I think, to, to nick the phrase from the, the gambling adverts on TV, when the fun stops, stop. If you're not enjoying it, if you're not getting some form of enrichment out of it, you might want to question why you're doing it. So make it enjoyable. Find ways of enjoying it. Find ways of actually having fun with it. And that's um, a huge key. And it takes a lot of the pressure off on the training side because you can, you can get a lot of high-quality training in without necessarily, um, you know, feeling that you're being pressurized into doing it. Absolutely. That's, uh, you, you took it away there. You've got, I think that's four. I think I counted four, <laughs> Carol. So we've got join a, a British cycling uh, uh, club. Uh, I wanted mm -hmm. to add to that, that there needs to be a club that is British cycling registered or at least actively racing with racing members yeah. because there are a lot of clubs that specialize just in sort of time trial or even yeah, sportives. Yeah, so, um, and then we said, uh, get your racing license. So apply for that. Yeah, in at Cat 4, if you're listening in America, Cat 5. And we, for some reason, there's lots of different it's uh, lots of different uh, systems around the globe um do you look to do some cross racing or, or something along those lines that is less intimidating uh than jumping in with full-on racing um and enjoying it so what's our fifth uh well, <laughs> to to go on the, the novice side on the road racing side um i i've been involved in and i know of other uh, programs and this is both um, for women and for, uh, for male riders, um, a lot of race series do um, novice training days. So the, the progression is really, really good that you've, you've gone with the club and you get used to some group riding and some skills there. 
you then go to these novice training days and I know that, for example, Surrey League in the UK used to, and I need to check if they still do, require you to do two of these training days before they would let you do your first novice race. Yeah, I think that um, um, I think that the, you do the Southeast leagues are the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You do skills. You do you do cornering drills. You do through and off drills. You start to learn race techniques. So you've got that bridge between the group riding element of a club. You start putting these group riding skills at speed into it, and you start getting the confidence, and then you go racing. And I know that um, at least some of the programs that I was involved in over the last couple of years have also, as part of doing the courses, put on novice races. So you'll do your course, and a week later, they'll put on a, a you know a Cat 3-4 or a Cat 4 only race, to use the UK classifications. And the people who've been on the course will be the people you were training with. So it's a really good way, again, of taking away that all scary turning up and racing against people you don't know. Well, actually, it's the people you were sitting having sandwiches with a week, two weeks ago on the course, riding around and having fun together and learning together. So that's uh, it's an, a nice thing if, if you do that. And you gain skill from doing it as well. And there we have it, Caroline. You nailed all five. So proof that men aren't needed in cycling. <laughs> well done. I, 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 I couldn't have added any more to that, Caroline. That's fantastic effort. Uh, <laughs> And that's it. Uh, I, I, I got to say that it's been an absolutely thoroughly enjoyable uh, podcast from, uh, from my side of it. So thank you very much, Caroline. Yeah, no problem. Um, happy to chat and you know, happy to answer questions to, um, from anyone going forwards. If anyone's got any questions that came out of what we spoke about or, or anything along those lines, yeah, I'm happy to chat to people. Always. Absolutely. So people can email that through to me at pavatspokes.fit and uh, if we get enough questions we'll do another podcast or perhaps we'll do a, a live video within the, the Spokes Performance Training Advice Group on Facebook or something like that. But uh, thank you everybody for at home who's listened. It's been a, a, real, a real pleasure. Um, just make sure that you leave us a comment, like, share and subscribe to this podcast. My name is Pav Bryan. I'm Performance Director here at Spokes and you've been listening to Bespoked. <laughs>